Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be seen. Amen. Got a couple of announcements here to start us off. Um, the first is that Trunk or Treat is coming right up at the end of this month on the 31st. And so I have an announcement written here for me. Uh, let's see. So there's going to be a box for um, candy that'll, that'll show up here hopefully next week. So be on the lookout in grocery stores for candy. Um, even those who aren't able to come and actually host a, a trunk in the parking lot, um, if you're able to donate candy, that'd be uh, fantastic. Um, what's that? No, no. You put it in, don't take it out. Um, next week we'll have um, invitations, little cards, um, for those of you who who know families who might be interested to be able to, uh, to hand those out to your, your friends and neighbors. Um, if you're willing to bring your car to the parking lot and open your trunk and pass out candy, um, let, Katie's not here this morning, uh, let Miranda know. So, so far, this is, this is the list of those who've, um, who've expressed willingness. Um, Matt, Katie, Terry, Diane, Dean and Beth, Bill and Millie, is Jane with a question mark? You'll do it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, anyone else who's, who might be willing to, uh, to station out in the parking lot and hand out candies to some, uh, um, some anxious kids, uh, let Miranda know. And there'll be um, a meeting after, the church, after church on the 25th. So that's a couple of weeks from now. Um, but that's just to coordinate details for Trunk or Treat. Did I miss anything? Great. Let's see, and Dean has an announcement. Uh, I just wanted to give everyone an update on the 24th. We are going to have a member of the meeting to vote on Millie and Bill. Bill are become members of the church. Nice. So that's great news. And also to vote on Ian to become a pastor. We have a lot going on. There's a couple more announcements. One is that there's a ladies' night out. That's, that's Donna's shindig. Um, 6 p.m. on Wednesday, October 21st. Uh, and I'm told that there will be lots of fun food and fellowship as we look into God's Word, brought to you by Mrs. Marion Pouchot. Uh, and that'll be at uh, Donna and Herm's home, and Donna will be providing the food. So let Donna know if you plan to attend. I believe your, your, your phone number is on the, the handout in the yeah. bulletins. Great. So that's all there. Allison. Food pantries this Saturday. Great. Uh, and the last announcement is that Operation Christmas Child is back. Um, and Lynn Hilliard, who's the area director of Operation Christmas Child, is going to um, bring us a presentation um, on Operation Christmas Child. So please welcome Lynn.
Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Donna, also for uh, getting me set up to come and talk with you guys this morning. Um, as Pastor Ian said, I'm Lynn Hilliard. I'm a volunteer uh, with Operation Christmas Child, and I'm the area coordinator, which is basically the leader for the Central Maine area. Uh, so I was very blessed uh, to, I started an Operation Christmas Child back in about 2010, and I immediately joined the team because of my wonderful friend, Rena Boudreau, who's with me. Uh, she is the one that really got me interested in Operation Christmas Child. And we started it at my church where I was with her. And so that's how I started. And once I started going to meetings, I just learned a lot and immediately joined the team. Never in a million years did I think I would be the leader of the team, but here I am. So. I was um, chosen to go on a special distribution of the shoeboxes in Togo, Africa in 2017. And it was an amazing blessing. And I love to share this, so I'm so glad to share this with you guys today. So Togo, Africa is Western Africa. It's actually the smallest country um, over there. And even though it's the smallest country in Western Africa, it has over seven and a half million people. And we were stationed right on the coast there in Lome, and there was two million people in that area. Um, and it is absolutely beautiful because it's right on the coast. They do speak French, so that was interesting. I knew a little bit of French. This is really their homes. Okay, this is where they live, um, and so it's a mud-type home. And this is pretty typical of what it was like there. This is actually a church. So we went with a team of about 35 total of us. We split up to about 10 of us, and we'd go to different churches. And we had interpreters with us. We had the leadership in Togo, Africa, that are volunteers with Operation Christmas Child, and they were with us as well. And uh, Pastor um, was with us too. He was also one of the volunteers with Operation Christmas Child. They live right there in Togo, Africa, so they know the people and the country. And uh, there was 50 to 150 children in the church that we went to. We went to five different churches, and then we went to a special training, which I'll show you later, about the 12-week discipleship program called The Greatest Journey. So when we were brought in, usually we either sat up front of the church or we sat in with the children. And they seated the children, boys on one side, girls on the other, and they had the youngest children in the front and the oldest children in the back. So the Two to four-year-olds were in the front, and then the five to nine, and then the 10 to 14 in the back. And the first thing they usually did was a welcome. The children, some of them would do a special presentation or singing um, and to welcome us. And they, of course, told them we were special guests from the United States that came as their friend to um, do this distribution of the shoeboxes. So, this is the, it's very large, and they use this to do the gospel presentation with the children. 
with every shoebox, the child receives what's called the greatest gift. And it's this little booklet that goes on top of the box, which you'll see later. This is actually what they're going over, only in a bigger illustration to cover that with the children. The presentation was about 45 minutes, going over all the very important things about sin, about why Jesus came, and about salvation. And then what they would do is that they would, at the end, ask the children to pray about whether they want to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then the children would stop, be quiet, they'd pray. And then they said, who wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And you can see all the hands that are up there. And many of them jumped out of their chairs. And the whole room, it was amazing, because there was a lot of children there. And they jumped up, and they were so excited to accept Jesus. It was a wow moment. Then they, they prayed the prayer of salvation out loud for all of those that wanted to accept Jesus. So this was our pastor who was with us. And the children haven't even seen the shoeboxes yet, okay? So, so far we've had the welcome, we've had their either skit or singing or presentation, the whole presentation about the gospel. And then this table was up front and it was covered. And then he pulled the tablecloth off and then the kids were like, oh. <laughs> oh. Um, and he, what the pastor went over with them was about the shoeboxes, why we were there, that we were their friends. We were their friends from the United States. It was a special honor to have us there. And he reviewed some things you might find in the shoeboxes, like school supplies. He asked some of them, what might you find? Um, the hygiene items, a toy. And then he asked them to each pray about one item that they wanted to receive in their shoebox. Okay, I'm like, please, Lord, please let it be there. <laughs> and then he explained to them that they were each going to come up in a line individually, receive their box and their booklet, and go back to their seats and not to open their boxes. We were going to have a countdown and open the boxes together. So this is me, <laughs> and um, right beside me is our regional um, director, um, Cecil, who was with us as well. And the most important thing that I knew the Lord wanted me to do when I gave out the boxes was to tell the children that Jesus loved them. So I immediately started working with the interpreters to make sure I could say it right. And it's Jesus Tem. So with every box, I would say that to the child. And they just lit up. And many of them just kind of bowed forward in respect. So this, this is a little girl who just got her box. Yes, okay. So then what the pastor did is said, okay, once everybody got their box and got back to their seat, a few of them opened the box and then closed it. A few of them took an item out, but most of them were very, very good, and they were quiet through the whole thing. So then he said, we're going to do a countdown, and we're going to, once we get to one, and then we're going to open our boxes. So he said, here we go. Three, two, 
One. <sighs> All in the excitement and the noise. The children were so excited just looking in their box and seeing what was in there. And then we were allowed to go out to be with the children. And so, of course, there's a language barrier, but we could non-verbally communicate pretty well. And they would show me the things in their boxes that they loved. And they don't really understand about pictures. So we did have phones. And whenever we took pictures, they would want to see like themselves. They'd look at themselves like, oh, that's me. Uh, uh, anyway, they were, they were very sweet. Stuffed animals. So stuffed animals is always a favorite for the box for all children of all ages. This little girl loved hers. So this little boy had no idea that I was taking his picture. And he has pulled out a pack of pencils. Do you see the excitement on his face with a pack of pencils? He's turning around like to show his friends like, wow, pencils. It's like, wow. It brings you to a whole new level of thinking. And then this little girl, she was actually an older girl. She pulled out a three-pack bar of soap. And I see this huge smile. And I'm thinking, she's that excited about soap? Wow. Well, in her other hand was a doll. And it was like a Barbie doll. And that's when she really smiled. And then she kissed the doll. Now this looks like a little boy. It's actually a little girl. But we really weren't sure, except she was sitting with the girls. Usually the girls all wear dresses. She didn't have a dress. She had like a long boy's shirt. She was very poor, you could tell. She had a smile that lit the place up in the church. It was amazing. Like, all of us noticed her. And in her hand, she has something that was so important to her and to many children in Togo. Can you guys see what that is? It is a washcloth, okay? When we got to Togo, no washcloths. There was no washcloths, not even for us. And it's very important to them because it was very, very hot there, kind of like Florida in the summer when it's 90 and 95% humidity. That's what it was like there. So it's hot, and they carry things, especially the women, the children, they carry things on their head. So they use their washcloths to wipe their face, sometimes to put on their head to carry things. The children, it's so important to them to have that, and that's what she is holding on to. So this little girl is one of them. <laughs> they love things that you've made. And people have said, what if I make a, you know, if it's a winter thing and it goes to a warm place? Well, you can see she loved it. That, she actually opened her box in advance, put that on her head. And I happened to look over thinking, oh, OK. <laughs> she couldn't even wait, but she left it on her head. And she was very excited to have a hat, a winter hat. The children love letters any correspondence or a picture. They always wanted to show me that. And then there are interpreters and people there that can help them read the letters or read um, things. They were very excited to know, like, these children have probably never received a gift in their life. So they have no idea, like, who is this? And wow, like, who would send me a gift? So they really are curious to know about that person. Now this little boy, this was very important to him. 
He is reading his greatest gift booklet on the top of his box. He had no idea I was taking a picture of him there. But, and he's an older boy, so very, very important to them. So this is the group of um, the children. As they, as they get ready to leave, they always put the shoe boxes on their head and, and carry them out. Now, once they get their box, um, and before they even open it, the pastor reviewed that starting the next week, they would be doing The Greatest Journey, which is the 12-week discipleship lesson, and all of the children were invited to come. And that's a 12-week um, lessons every week that goes over even more important things about Jesus. They do activities, they memorize Bible verses, and the activities kind of demonstrate the lessons that they're learning. So they do this program, they have to do it for all 12 weeks, and when they're done, at the very end, they get their own New Testament Bible in their language, and they get a graduation ceremony and their own graduation certificate, which is a really big deal for the kids. So, And that's so, the greatest journey is so, so important because it really helps the children get a deeper faith in knowing Jesus. So, Now, these are two things that were very sort of stunning to me that I never heard about and never knew. So during the church service, way in the back, there's a young girl with like a, she was a Muslim and she had like the covering on her head. And I immediately noticed her and thought, wow, hmm, okay. And when they accepted Christ, I just watched thinking, Lord, I can't believe this girl is here. Um, and she, I, can, I saw a noticeable change on her face after she accepted Christ. Like you could see the difference in her eyes. But I was amazed to think there was Muslim children there. And it wasn't just this one. Here, way in the back, is a Muslim woman who was, her children got shoeboxes. She actually listened to the whole presentation about the gospel. And that was just amazing to me. In Togo, most of the religions that are there, a lot of it is idol worship. Um, and there is a fair amount of Muslims, probably about 29 to 30% Christians. So, This was the presentation of The Greatest Journey. And the children have their workbooks. Um, but what I noticed was some of the children further in, you'll see on the bench, some did not have the workbooks. So I thought, hmm, I wonder why they don't have a workbook. So later we learned there were so many children that want to do the program that they didn't have enough of these Greatest Journey books. So that really got to me. I was like, oh, no. And they said, don't worry. They'll be able to do it again next time and get a workbook. But that really touched me. And when I got home, I said, I'm going to make sure that I do a lot of stuff for The Greatest Journey so these kids can have their workbooks. This really got to me. At the very end of one of the church services, there were these children there. And as you can see, they don't look very happy. Um, and they didn't receive a shoebox. They were not part of the ceremony. So I thought, well, don't we have enough boxes? Can't they get a box? Well, come to find out, they have to, of course, get permission from their parents to participate. 
So the parents have to know what it's about and they have to agree. So apparently these children, for whatever reason, were not able to be part of it, but they still came and listened. Now the doors, they don't really have door, like the doors are like open in the church. So they kind of listened in and came in the back. I noticed this at many of the presentations. Other children would just come like, what is this, what's going on? But they stood and they listened. And so when we were leaving, I felt really bad <laughs> just seeing them. And so I said, do you want a picture? And so I showed them that I took their picture and then they came over and looked and then they were very excited about that. So it just really got me like, wow, there's so many more kids that really need to know about Jesus as their savior. And this is the happy face of a child that gets a shoebox. So the video that you see, um, and you can see it here, the children, their hearts are so ready to know Jesus. They just need that way. And that's what the gospel opportunity shoebox does. It gives them that opportunity to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so each and every one of you, when you pack a box, pray for that child. God has a plan for that exact box for that exact child. And he knows exactly the items and things they need in the box. So always pray and continue praying for that child. Many, many stories that we hear in testimonies of children about the most important things in, in their heart they received in a shoebox. Some of them even parents. <laughs> even parents, not in the shoebox, but from the shoebox. They've been adopted. So the shoebox is amazing. God uses it as that vessel and tool. So I want to encourage you all to continue to pack. This year is so, so important because so many children with the pandemic, they have so little hope. And the shoebox gives them that love and hope that they need. So Donna, thank you for continuing to do this. And we have shoeboxes up front that you can take. So please get that before you go. The boxes will be due back November, um, the week of November 16th through the 23rd. So and thank you all so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'll be available after for questions. And they learn how to share it with many others. That's yeah. part of the greatest journey. Thank you, Donna. Thank you so much for coming and sharing, Lynn. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's cool to be able to see the photos of like where these boxes are actually going. We're not just sending them out, you know, and with no idea of where they're going. They're actually going to kids overseas, um, and and not just being given but that there's this whole program alongside of the greatest journey where the gospel's being shared to these kids and to their families. And so, um, yeah, looking forward to, to uh, putting together a box this year. It's exciting. All right. Let's start our service. Matt, could you come forward? And uh, Matt's going to open us up in prayer and uh, do our scripture reading. morning. Beautiful day in the neighborhood, isn't it? So let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for another gorgeous day in your creation. 
we thank you for this body, this group of believers that we can freely gather in your house to worship you. And Father, in these times where we may look out at this broken world and just often seems like utter chaos and division, rebellion, and pandemics, that we know that you are seated on the throne, that you are in control, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that through the blood of your son Jesus, who suffered and died for each and every one of us, we have the forgiveness of sin, eternal life with you, and the peace that surpasses all understanding, that we can truly take heart, for you have overcome the world. I just pray that you will bless this time, uh, that it, all the glory and honor will be for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning's scripture, we're going to be reading from Psalm 106. If you'd like to follow along, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6, and then 47 and 48. So again, that's Psalm 106. Of course, I didn't bring my glasses this morning. Bear with me. We're good. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned, even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. Save us, Lord our God. Gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Let's praise the Lord. Let's stand together and sing. Well, we're going to start with uh, hymn number eight. Come Thou Almighty King. Sure. 
337, nothing but the blood. We'll sing one, three, and four. If I could have the ushers come forward at this time, we're going to take our morning offering. Um, if you happen to be a visitor here this morning, know that this, the, uh, the offering is a time for those who are part of the family of the church to give, and please don't feel obligated to give. Would you pray over the offering? Oh, Heavenly Father, how 
Joe's in the first place, and we only bring him back a portion. Amen. May we be used it wisely for your church and your ways. Please guide us and show us, and may it prosper all. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You can stand, uh, stay standing. We're going to sing, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And you should have the lyric sheet with you. If you don't have the lyric sheet, raise your hand and we will get you one. A couple up here in the front, one for Gail and for Russ as well. We've got two. gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark. But I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid for jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this i hold my sin has been defeated jesus now and Oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. 
With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me. Until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to spend some time now bringing our prayers, our requests, our thanksgivings before the Lord. One prayer card in the offering. Any prayer requests we want to remember before the Lord this morning? Allison. Andrea. Continue to, to lift Allison's sister Andrea to the Lord. Good. So we'll remember um, Maureen's daughter, Ellen, in prayer. She's just been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and with Crohn's disease. So, so we'll remember Ellen. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Wadsworth, still recovering in the hospital in Boston, making slow progress. Keep praying for him. And for Herman, he's not with us this morning. His leg still bothering him. Yeah, so um, having a hard time getting around. Yes, Nancy. Yes, yeah, yeah, for our nation with all that's going on, including the election. Okay. Mm. So for um, Addison Grindle um, and, and the Grind whole Grindle family, I guess Addison starts chemotherapy this week. So pray for them and for the Joy to be Bald fundraiser that's, that's happening. Anything else? Russ? Hmm. 
church in New Vineyard that's lost their pastors who will pray for them. I think I thought I saw one more hand. Jane? Amen. Yeah. Good. We'll pray for Lori. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we join the everlasting song as all the angels of heaven and all the saints that have gone on before and all of creation shouts your praise. The rocks and the seas and the sky and the blazing fall colors all join the shout of your glory and beauty as our creator. Father, we can't fully comprehend, let alone speak with words, the fullness of your majesty and your glory and of your steadfast love. And yet we come to you anyways, because even though we know you in part, what our human brains allow us to know of you, leads us to praise you. And Father, as we look at your glory, we're aware of our, our sin, and we pray like David prayed. Uh, Father, we know our transgressions. Our sin is ever before us. Against you, you only, we've sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that if you were to condemn us, you'd be just and right. We're reminded, Father, even in this past week of our ungratefulness, our, our lack of love for you, lack of love for neighbor. We're aware, Lord, of deeds that we should have done, that we left undone. We're lo aware, Lord, of deeds that we have done that we should have left undone. Forgive us, Lord, for our untempered tongues and our wandering hearts. Have mercy on us according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin in the blood of Jesus. We ask this boldly, knowing that if we walk in the light, as you are in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and Jesus, your blood cleanses us from all sin. We thank you and we praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus, Father. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for his life and his death and his resurrection. We're thankful that in him we can be forgiven, brought into your family. That's the truth that we build our, our life on. We're so thankful for the promise of eternity, Lord. We're thankful for this church, this community, Lord. And we're thankful for the town of Liberty where we are. We have um, many, many concerns, Lord, we wanna bring, bring up to you. You're the great comforter. So we bring all these things to you. We, we think, Lord, of, um, of Shirley Freeman as she struggles day to day with breathing and with feeling well, with raising two young boys. We pray that you'd give her strength and endurance. Pray that she would um, continue to live and to work in your strength, Lord, that you'd be her strong tower. You'd give her energy. You'd help her to breathe. We pray for Steve Wadsworth as he's still recovering down in Boston. We pray that you'd encourage him day to day as he makes small steps towards recovery. We pray that um, you give him both spiritual and physical strength. We pray that you'd bring him back to us soon. 
We thank, Lord, of the Coffin family as they're still away from us, and we, we just pray that you'd continue to give them rest and uh, hopefully bring them back to us soon. We think of Herm, who's not with us this morning. We pray that you'd um, bring healing to his leg, that uh, you'd give uh, the doctors guidance on how to help him, and you'd give him wisdom and discernment and when to listen to the doctors. Father, we thank you that um, Ellen was able to be up with uh, Maureen and Charlie this weekend, be able to help on the house. We pray for Ellen as she's recently been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and with Crohn's disease. We pray that the treatments that she's given would be able to help, Lord, to maintain a quality of life even when dealing with those conditions. Father, we pray for all of those in our church family who aren't able to be with us because of the coronavirus. And uh, it grieves us that we're not able to be together as, as a whole family. We've got, we're the body of Christ and we've got missing fingers and toes and hands. And so we, we pray, Lord, for our, um, uh, our brothers and sisters who not, are not able to be with us, that you'd encourage them where they are, that you'd bring an end to this virus soon so we'd all be able to be together. Lord, we think of the Grindle family, especially of Addison. We pray that you'd encourage and be with them this week as Addison starts chemotherapy. We thank you that Addison is able to have treatment at the Barbara Bush Hospital. We're thankful for that high quality of care that they have down there. Pray that you'd keep her in high spirits. Pray that you'd encourage her parents. What a trial this must be for them. Pray that this uh, trial would be an opportunity that you would use, Lord, to bring this family to you, that they would know you and trust you. They'd find in you their, their deep peace. Lord, we think of the Joy to be Bald fundraiser. We pray that that would be a blessing to the Grindle family. We think of Lori. We're thankful for what a central role she plays in this community. We pray that you'd, um, you'd bring her to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Lord, we think of this church in New Vineyard who's just lost a pastor. We we know what's that, what that's like. Pray that you'd be with them, that you'd comfort them by your spirit. Pray that you'd be at work in that church, Lord. Pray that you'd strengthen them, that they wouldn't be, um, they wouldn't be divided, Lord, or discouraged, but that you'd strengthen them and their witness in their community. We pray, Lord, as we continue to pray, that you would bring revival. You bring new life. We ask that you bring new life to our hearts, to our church, that uh, you'd bless us, Lord, with the powerful presence of your spirit. You'd bring our hearts to life day to day. You'd be turning us more and more into the image of your son. That you'd give us a, a love and a passion for um, sharing the good news, for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Pray that you give us opportunities to be able to do that with our friends and our neighbors. We're thankful, Lord, for the opportunities you've given us as your body, even in these last couple of weeks, to have conversations with friends and neighbors who are far from you about the gospel of Jesus. Pray that you bless those conversations. They start the wheels turning in people's minds. We know it, it has to be a work of your spirit, Lord, if people are to come to you. We pray that you do that work. We pray, Lord, that you do that work in our community, that many would come to know you in the coming months and years through the ministry of this church. We pray that 
Same, Lord, for our state. We pray for a revival in Maine, that you'd um, revive our, our churches, that you'd raise up proclaimers of the word of God, that you'd raise up faithful pastors and preachers. Father, we pray for our nation too. We pray for, we do pray for our government, Lord. We pray for those who are in leadership over us. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, our president is, um, is feeling better. He's not in the hospital anymore. The doctor has just said recently he's no longer contagious. We're thankful that he's in full health. Please give him wisdom. Please continue to surround him with godly advisors. We pray that your will would be done and your kingdom would come on this earth and in this nation as it is in heaven. And so we pray, Lord, that you'd be at work um, in the events of the next few months uh, for your glory and for our good, that you'd, um, in all things, Lord, whatever happens, that you would be building your church. We're thankful, Lord, for all the many ways you bless us. Please teach us thankfulness and gratefulness, and please be with us the rest of this service, that as we go to your word, that we would receive it with thankful and, and, um, and soft hearts, Lord, that we'd hear with understanding. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to know Jesus. I think I've I think I've shared with you before uh, how growing up I I had a I had a good dad and I never felt a sense of physical need. My parents weren't rich. Most of my childhood, my mom stayed home, and we got along on my dad's teacher salary. But my dad was a, a faithful provider, and I, I never went hungry. I never had to worry that he would provide what my brothers and I needed. I'm really thankful for that. I realize that's not everyone's experience. Some, even among us, grew up with fathers or mothers who, who couldn't be trusted to provide what was needed. I think the question of whether or not God will provide whether or not our Heavenly Father will provide, can haunt us at times, especially when the future seems uncertain. Many people struggle to believe that God is a loving provider, that He actually cares for those who come to Him in need. Even Christians can struggle with this question, knowing on some level, yes, I know God's good, that He's loving, but can I really trust Him? Can I really trust that he'll take care of me? Will he really lead me where I need to go? Am I in danger of God abandoning me? And Christians can ask all these kinds of questions. But so do those who are maybe reluctant to trust in Christ. There may be some who are on the cusp of belief who might ask, if I put my faith in him, will he really pull through? Is he really willing to care for me? I want to look together to God's word for reassurance this morning. God provides for his people. 
God provides for his people. And by his people, I mean everyone who comes to him in faith. To all who receive Jesus Christ as Lord, who believe in his name, the Father gives the right to become children of God. I want to give us reassurance this morning from God's word. God provides for his people. And we're going to see specifically this morning that God provides for his people in Jesus. We're going to look at two ways that God provides for his people in his son Jesus, and specifically on one occasion during Jesus' earthly ministry. We're going to look in the face of Jesus and see God's faithfulness. And my hope is that we would be satisfied in Jesus as our shepherd and as our sustenance. The text for this morning is Mark chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 33. And we'll read through verse 56. It's quite a long passage. Uh, We're really only going to scratch the surface. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving, him, leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. 
As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless our study as we come to your word this morning. Lead us, good shepherd. Teach us by your word. Fill us, bread of life, with good food from your word. Satisfy us with your fullness. Glorify your faithfulness, love, and power as displayed in the gift of your Son. Open our minds and our hearts to behold wonderful things in your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may remember from a couple of weeks ago, after the apostles' grueling ministry schedule, Jesus had scheduled them a time of rest and recuperation. And so they'd hopped on board a boat and went across the Sea of Galilee. And they were looking for a desolate place where they could get away from the crowds, just Jesus and the disciples, away from the buzz of the crowds to recharge. And then verse 33 hits them in the face. Now many saw them going to this desolate place and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. The exhausted disciples were sailing across the lake hoping for a little well-deserved R&R, and they were greeted on the other side by the same crowd that was so anxious to see Jesus and his disciples, so anxious that they'd beaten them to the other side, running on foot. Exhausted and looking for rest, how did Jesus and his disciples react to the crowd? You're going to notice a slight difference between the way Jesus reacts and the way the disciples react. Verse 34, when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Notice first in verse 34 that Jesus didn't send his disciples to minister to the crowd. He had promised them rest, so he took on the burden of teaching. Notice secondly that he had compassion on the crowd. He loved them. Throughout this passage and throughout the Gospels, laced through this record of events, which are now so distant in history, Jesus' actions here on the shore provide us a steady reassurance of the tender care of Jesus. Notice thirdly in verse 34, and most importantly, why Jesus had compassion on the people. Why was Jesus' heart drawn to them? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. It's, It's an agricultural word picture. The people were like a herd of sheep wandering around aimless without the guidance or the protection of a shepherd. And so there's, there's a simple meaning sort of there on the surface, but the phrase sheep without a shepherd goes deep biblically. Think back, if you will, to Moses. Remember Moses? Moses was the prophet who led Israel, God's people, out of Egypt. And for many years, Moses was the one who God had chosen to teach and to lead God's 
people, leading them in whatever way God wanted them to go. And on the eve of Moses' death, he was actually told by God, Moses, you're about to die. And he prayed to the Lord. His prayer is recorded in Numbers chapter 27, verses 16 through 17, where he prays like this. He says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And in response to Moses' prayer, the Lord immediately appointed Joshua as Moses' successor to lead his people. And Joshua led the people well. He took them into the promised land, keeping them faithful to their God. Now enter God's people now on the shore of Galilee, shepherdless, waiting for a word again from their God, waiting for God to answer Moses' prayer again, appoint a man over the congregation that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep, as sheep that have no shepherd. And Jesus saw them and he had compassion on the shepherdless crowd and he began to teach them many things. Jesus was a new Joshua, a new shepherd leader for God's people. Their names are actually the same. It's the same Hebrew root. Jesus is the, the Greek version of the Hebrew name. The first Yeshua had died. He was a mortal man and imperfect. A new and a better Yeshua had come to shepherd God's people. Jesus had come as a better shepherd than any of the prophets or the kings of the Old Testament. In every generation after Joshua's death, God appointed new shepherds, new leaders of the people. After Joshua came the judges to shepherd Israel, then the kings to shepherd Israel. Think of David and Saul and Solomon and their heirs. Some of them led well. Many ruled unfaithfully. And all of the shepherds of Israel eventually died. All were mortal men. God was able to use the Old Testament shepherds despite themselves. Again, some of them led well, but many of them, well, all of them were human, right? They were all imperfect, all flawed, all mortal. Jesus is the better shepherd. He's the better shepherd for God's people. He's a perfect shepherd. Because Jesus is God himself in human flesh. He's God incarnate. After years of watching his people led astray, in love God came near to shepherd his people himself. Jesus did not come as another under-shepherd like Joshua or Moses, merely repeating God's words to his people. Jesus' words are God's words because Jesus is God. God provides for his people. God provides for his people in Jesus. The very fact of Jesus' coming into the earth, the shining ray of God's very presence among his people to shepherd and to lead them is proof of this. God didn't abandon his people 
to live under wicked or imperfect shepherds forever. And neither did he simply abandon his people to run around shepherdless forever. At just the right time, God the Father provided a perfect shepherd for his people in sending the Son into the world. In Jesus, God provides a shepherd for his people. The upshot of witnessing Jesus' tender shepherding care for those who are seeking him there on the shore, even despite his and his disciples' exhaustion, shows us God's heart for those who come to him. If you're his, if you come to him in faith, you will never be a sheep without a shepherd. God has provided a perfect shepherd for his people in Jesus. And no matter what comes along the path ahead, you will never be alone. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus is a perfect shepherd for God's people. Now, what did Jesus do to shepherd his people when he came? How is it that Jesus shepherds, leads, guides, protects his people? Verse 34 again. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus shepherds his people by his word. Jesus was calling out to the lost sheep, calling all who would hear his voice, all who had wandered far from God, bringing them back into the fold, back into his loving care. At this point in his ministry, Jesus was preaching only to the lost sheep of Israel. But in the coming months and years, he revealed the truth that he had come not only to call Israel, but to call people from all tribes, tongues, and nations to himself, all the lost sheep of the world. Are you lost? Are you aimless? Do you know who you are? Do you know where you're going? Do you feel like a lost sheep sometimes? Listen to the voice of the shepherd. In Christ, God speaks to us. My sheep, hear my voice, Jesus says. The God who made you, who created all things, the God whose universe this is, came near in the person of Christ, and he spoke to all the wandering ones, all the lost ones that would hear, calling them to return to their creator, to hear the voice of their God in the person of Jesus. God has provided a shepherd. Listen. Listen to his voice. How else does God provide for his people in Jesus? Let's keep reading. Verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Remember, his disciples were exhausted. 
They were in a desolate place because they were trying to escape the crowds. But the crowd had followed, and the whole group was now tired and getting hungry. The nearest Circle K was like 10 miles away. The disciples were getting hangry. So these hungry disciples suggested, hey, Jesus, why don't we send the crowd away? That's a good idea. And so that way we can get our rest and the hungry crowd can have their supper. It's a win-win. Verse 37, but Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. The compassionate shepherd wanted more than merely to teach his people. He wanted to feed their hunger. A shepherd's most basic task is to feed his sheep. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Hey, disciples, what do you think? What do we have to feed the sheep? And they said to him, Shall we go? and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and, and give it to them to eat? There's thousands of people there. A denarii was the wage for one day's labor at the time for a common laborer. So figuring a $13 hourly wage at eight hours a day, we're talking the equivalent of about $20,000 to feed the crowd. The disciples were realists, and they were realists who were tired and hungry. I think we should read their reply here with some cutting sarcasm. Oh, oh yeah, we'll just go spend $20,000 on some Subway sandwiches for the crowd. Cool, cool. They thought they were being realists, doing the math, keeping Jesus grounded in reality. Jesus, we can't feed the crowd. We don't have the resources. But they left out one variable when they did the math. Jesus, verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Enough to feed the disciples, maybe. Not thousands. But Jesus had power and a plan. Verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. 5,000 men. Five loaves. Two fish. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In this case, my basket of leftovers overflows. Matthew records in his account of this event that 5,000 men were counted, but, there were, but that there were also women and children here who weren't counted in that number. So there easily have, could, have, could have been 10,000 people there or more fed by five loaves and two fish. It's amazing. It's a miracle. 
Not only were there 10,000 people fed, but there were 12 baskets full of leftovers afterwards, which just proves that Mark was right in verse 42 to say that they all ate and were satisfied. No one could eat another bite. There was so much that everyone was full and there was leftovers. Remember our big idea, God provides for his people in Jesus. First, we saw his provision in providing a shepherd. And secondly here, the shepherd provides bread. In Jesus, God provides bread for his people to eat. On this occasion, Jesus provided physical sustenance for hungry people. It's a concrete, miraculous proof of Christ's identity by way of a miracle. But it's also a concrete, miraculous proof of God's faithfulness to provide for his people. Throughout history, God has proven himself faithful over and over to provide for the physical needs of his people. Like Moses with the manna in the wilderness, here Jesus provided bread for the people in the wilderness. Jesus provides for his people. And of course, we have the promise of Jesus in Matthew, right, that if we Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All else will be added to us. We, as Christians, we have a promise that for those who follow him, there's, there's literally a, a promise of physical provision. That we'll, we'll have what we need, not abundant, not sort of an overabundance necessarily, but what we need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But it's more than just a physical provision that we're promised. In John's account of this miracle, he records Jesus' follow-up conversation with the crowd. After Jesus had, had walked on water and, he and his disciples had made their way to the other side of the lake, the crowd found them looking for more handouts, the bread. I'm in John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, he's talking to the crowd now, they've come back for more. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In Jesus, God provides a greater gift than mere physical nourishment. In Jesus, God provides the bread of life for his people to eat. The object lesson was bread, but the point was Jesus. Bread only keeps you alive for a day. Jesus is saying, I'm the bread, the provision that'll keep you alive forever. Jesus is the bread which can keep us alive, not only till the next mealtime, but for eternity. This is Jesus again in John chapter 6. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, he's talking about himself, and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. 
I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus was using the concrete example of bread to show us that if we want to live eternally, to have life beyond the grave with God, we'll need a better kind of life-giving provision. Jesus is that provision. If you want to find sustenance that can keep you alive forever, come in faith to Jesus. Eat the bread of life and you can live forever. In Jesus, God provides the bread of life for his people to eat. God provides for his people in Jesus. God has provided us both a a shepherd who will never leave us as long as we live, and miraculously, he has lovingly provided us in the person of Jesus, a shepherd who would die for us so that we could live forever. All we have to do is come and take a bite of that bread of life. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's table like we did last week as we eat the bread and drink the cup. The crackers aren't the bread of life. You can't go and buy bread of life oyster crackers at Hannaford, right? (laughs) But in in eating them, we proclaim our faith and our trust in Jesus, our spiritual participation in the bread of life of life. We remember his his body. That's the symbolism there. His body is the bread broken on the cross. Jesus who lived a perfect life died on the cross, a death he didn't deserve in the place of sinners. And in his death God focused on him the judgment that our sins deserve. In our rebellion against our creator, in our sin against God, we've actually incurred God's wrath and the wages of sin is death. And Jesus is the bread of life because he died the death we deserve, bearing God's wrath for sin on his body on the cross, freeing us from the wages of sin. His broken body and spilled blood were the only thing that could have freed us from the curse of death. And all those who come to him in faith can say with confidence, Christ's body was broken for me. Christ's blood was spilled for me. His death was in my place, bearing the punishment that my sin deserves. His body, broken for me, is the bread of life, freeing me from sin and death and ensuring my eternal destiny. In the death of his body, Jesus bore our sins. And on the third day, in his resurrection, he defeated death and Satan. For those who are his, we share in that resurrection. When we were lost and ruined by sin, wandering from our God and our creator, despite our flagrant rebellion against him, in love, God sent his son to be our shepherd, to call us back into the fold, to feed his sheep, to provide for our greatest need through the giving of his own life on the cross. God provides for his people in Jesus. Jesus is God's perfect provision for us. 
in verse 45, the setting shifts. And the disciples are again put on a boat, and they're forced, we're going to see, to reckon with the true identity of Jesus. Having seen the miraculous provision of God in Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000, what did the disciples make of Jesus out on the lake? So verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. The exhausted disciples were finally getting their break. Verse 46, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. You probably would be too. These men were fishermen. They knew what you could expect out on the sea. And a man walking in a fierce gale on the water was not typical. They were terrified. They thought Jesus was a ghost. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. It's amazing. The disciples had seen something like this before with Jesus when Christ was sleeping on the boat and stilled the sea. But I want you to look at their reaction to seeing Jesus on the water and how he stilled the wind. Mark tells us that, that, that the disciples were utterly astounded. Verse 51. For they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. The disciples were astounded on the sea because they didn't understand about the loaves. What was it about the bread that they missed? The disciples here again prove themselves thick-headed as they did throughout Jesus' ministry. We can identify with that. And this is no exception. Having just seen Jesus perform an amazing miracle by performing a multiplication problem on bread, they're still astounded by Jesus' power on the sea. These are first-hand witnesses to Jesus' power and provision, and yet they still hadn't fully grasped who he was. Their hearts were hardened to the truth of who Jesus was, the incarnate Son, the eternal shepherd, the bread of life. Verse 53 when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. After their attempt at a retreat, Jesus and his disciples were now thrown right back into the regular rhythms of Jesus' ministry. 
verses 53 through 56 here are, are a summary of just the kind of ministry we've seen Jesus doing over and over again uh, in Galilee. In his kindness, healing the sick and the lame. The passage kind of leaves us hanging with a sense of, of unresolved tension. Jesus had performed this miraculous sign, but the disciples didn't get it. And now we're just back in regular ministry mode. When were his disciples going to get it? When would they see him for who he was? After Jesus miraculously revealed himself as God's perfect provision for his people, even his own disciples couldn't see him clearly. When would his disciples see? God's great and generous provision for his people and for the whole world was walking with them and they couldn't fully see him. It's another story about bread after Jesus' resurrection. We're at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He appeared to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him. They couldn't, didn't recognize him at first. They walked along together for a while. They didn't realize it was Jesus, and they were chit-chatting about Jesus' death. But when they reached their lodging place at the end of the day, as they sat down to eat together, something happened. They, the disciples had invited um, incognito Jesus into dinner. And this is Luke 24, and verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. It's exactly what he did on the shore in the wilderness. Took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. Jesus' true identity is recognized in the breaking of the bread. On the shore for the 5,000, Jesus took and blessed and broke the bread for the crowd. In the upper room before he was betrayed, he took and blessed and broke his bread for the disciples. Even then, they didn't quite get it. But once he reached Emmaus, he took and blessed and broke the bread for the two who were with him, and they got it. Jesus is the bread of life, broken for us. And until the disciples understood that Christ had to come to die, they couldn't understand fully who he was or what he had come to accomplish. On the cross, as Jesus died, God's wonderful provision for his people was guaranteed. Look no further than the cross to know that God provides for his people. Now that we've seen him, who he is, and the breaking of his body, as we deal with the storms and the wind whips across our own personal sea of Galilee, when we see Jesus coming, we needn't greet him like a ghost. Jesus walks over the, the stormy waters of our own personal seas um, without any trouble at all, even as we're wailing against the oars. God provides for his people in Jesus. Be satisfied in Jesus as your shepherd and as your spiritual sustenance.
If you follow, he will lead. If you eat the food he offers, he will give you life. Friends, the good shepherd will never leave you or forsake you. He died that you might have life. He was broken that you might live. He gave his life for you. You can trust that he will follow through. Hope in him. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the gift of Jesus. You are so faithful to provide for your people even when we don't deserve it. You sent your son to be our good shepherd, to call us from our wandering and to die for us, to be for us the bread of life so that we might live forever with you. We thank you, Father, for your provision for us in Jesus. We will praise you for eternity, for your love for us that you've shown us in your Son. We pray, Father, that this week, as we think of Jesus as our good shepherd and as the bread of life, that this wouldn't be an, an ethereal truth that we leave here on Sunday, but as our feet hit the ground tomorrow morning and Monday hits us in the face, that knowing that you are our good shepherd would help us as we cross the Sea of Galilee. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our final hymn, number 103, All Hail King Jesus. We'll sing it through a couple of times. bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Don't forget to grab a box. <laughs>